Welcome to the Philocrosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. This in-season edition of the Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time a cool watch company focused on custom timepieces that commemorate life's greatest achievements. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is best known for being the goalie that was dunked on by Gary Gate in the Air Gate in that 1988 Final Four game. Oxia makes beautiful Swiss-made self-winding watches whose design and quality match the essence of the memories they represent. Andy and I can attest to the quality. We each own a Brown University Oxia watch, and it's pretty much the nicest thing we own. One of Oxia's specialties is creating timepieces to celebrate storied team or championship victories. Check out the 2021 UVA National Championship watches or the Cornell lacrosse team watches we created last year. You should really see the University of Georgia football team national championship watches or the Deerfield Academy lacrosse team watch to commemorate their national championship in 2021. New for this season, Oxia is creating All-American watches to celebrate the student-athletes that earn this incredible achievement. They have designed unique timepieces for high school boys and girls and college men and women. If you want a custom watch to commemorate life's greatest accomplishments, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the In-Season Podcast with PLL Chaos Head Coach. Andy Towers. What's up, AT? How you doing? I'm, uh, I'm even more above average than I was the last few weeks with uh, Brown pounding Dartmouth and locking up, hosting the Ivy League tournament. I mean, I just am so pumped for Mike Daly and so pumped for the players to go from uh, a team that five weeks ago appeared like it could lose all the games in the Ivy league, you know, coming off of that pounding at Princeton after losing to Harvard, losing to UMass, getting pounded by Princeton, you know, it really appeared with the season that Penn, Yale, Cornell were all having. And with Dartmouth playing better that, that Brown might not, win an Ivy League game. I mean, losing by eight goals to Princeton at home in the beginning of April. And then here we are exactly one month later and Brown is hosting the Ivy League tournament. I tweeted out yesterday, Mike Daly has to be the Ivy League coach of the year. Has to be. And I also think he's in a small group of four or five other coaches across the country that should be considered for national coach of the year based on what he's done. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. But I, I totally agree. Did you watch the Dartmouth game? I watched a, a portion of it, yeah. I was flip-flopping between uh, the three Ivy League games, and so I did see quite a bit of that game. And yeah, so did I. You know what, what I'm blown what, away by with Brown? You know, that we haven't really talked about that much. But what? The, you know, last week we were talking about how we thought maybe Harvard had the best defense in the league, and, and I, I, I changed my opinion on that. I think Brown does, and I think, I think they've got – you know, great goaltending that we've highlighted, you know, defensively, they're, they're playing such good. They're just big, strong athletes playing great on-ball defense. But I'll tell you what, I think their shorties are sick. I think their shorties are really hard to get around. And if you look at, like, Wolfram, he's a beast. He's like 6'5", and Pike is just an unbelievable athlete. Um, they got a bunch of guys. they got a stable of shorties. Yeah, you know, I, I... – I feel like when you look at a team's defense, it's not only the six defenders that are out there, but I would also add the face-off group as well as the goaltending crew. And to me, where Brown's season has changed is where they have just cemented themselves as the best team in the league as it relates to 
face-off goaltending combination. You know, I, I, I would have said Yale had that at one point. I would have said Princeton had that at one point. I think that uh, coming into the season, I would have looked at Penn. I would have looked at Cornell uh, as two teams that had, you know, either a great face-off guy and a real good goalie or the opposite. To me, based on what Gunty did this weekend against Myers from Dartmouth, and Myers at Dartmouth, we said last week at the podcast, had cemented himself as the best Fogo in the league. He got his ass kicked on Saturday, um, you know, by Gunty at Brown. And, and I think Gunty, Ontario have stepped up and have proven that they're the best two at their respective positions in the league. I think Terrio without a doubt. And I think Gunty, I, I know that statistically he lost to Ramsey at Yale. I think Ramsey was 20 for 35 in that game. Um, and Gunty was a little bit under 500, obviously. And so maybe statistically Ramsey got the better of him there, but in terms of the two, the duo together, face-off guy and goalie, those two guys, along with the Brown defenders, you know, and again, I, I, I agree with you. I think they're playing good individual defense. I also think their schemes are really good. You know, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't seem like teams are getting easy goals against Brown anymore. And I just am, they're, they're going to be a hard out because they are, no if, doubt. If, you're great, if you're great at the X and you're great at the goal, and you've got a good scheme and, and you've got defenders that are long and they're tough in transition. They're unselfish in six on six. And Mike Daly has them playing without a worry in the world, which fuels the pace of play. And it just ultimately fuels a better performance. I mean, this is a very, very scary team for Penn to be playing. And many people thought that Yale and Penn were the top two teams in the league and Brown beat them both. Yeah, I think schematically, I think they're playing great defense too. And but I think it comes, it does come back to being able to be hard to beat. Because in this day and age, if you have to slide a lot, you're probably going to be in trouble. And if you can be difficult to beat, uh, where your slides are more like double teams, and when people are having to roll back to double move you. It just makes a massive difference. And, you know, I, I just think in general, it, you, you know how it goes with the chaos. Your shorties make a massive difference in your ability to play good defense. They do. And, and it's one thing to be, you know, a shorty that you don't have to slide to. That's the elite of the elite. You know, that next tier are shorties that consistently get beat to scheme, get beat to the right spots. You know, uh, but I think, on your point, Jamie, seeing that teams that have to slide more and defensively be more susceptible to getting victimized by offenses, you, know, you would think that more teams would be initiating with a two-man game to create that initial slide and take advantage of the 4v3 off ball. Yeah. Not only as the, to start the offense, but also on the help side as well. You know, I, I, I really am sort of shocked that more teams haven't gone to more of that. What do you mean by that? Just be more specific. It just, it, it seems like, you know, a lot of teams are, you know, dodging with one guy, making two passes to re-dodge with another guy. And I feel like the teams that make the soonest transition to Two manning the first part of the possession to get the slide. Yep. To pass and then two man the backside, assuming the defense plays the first round of pick action really, really well. Seems to me like that's the best way to attack these defenses and to force the slides that when they happen ultimately yield high quality shots. I'm shocked that more offenses aren't using the pick action to both start the offense and then reattack on the backside. Georgetown's the only team that I've seen that's done that consistently. And, 
you know, teams that maybe don't win a lot of the matchups out of the six on the field from the offensive side, I would think would be quicker to make the move to start their possessions with a two-man game and then attack on the backside with a two-man game as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the bottom line is you're subtracting defenders from the, from the slide package when you run a two-man game. And uh, it's frankly going to be easier to beat somebody because you can, they can't guard you equally towards the net and towards the pick. And they have to cover you in a certain way. And if you know how they're covering you, you can punish the defense for how they cover you. If they go under, you can basically set it closer to the goal and shoot. You know, if they go over, you can bring them over. If they switch, you know, you can hezzy and roll the, roll the guy and get nation's looks. And when you, when you do it, you know, back to back to back to back to back, you're going to create an advantage. When one person switches and one person stays, it's a two-on-one and it's easier to get than it is purely dodging people. Well, a hundred percent. And and the best part about it is you can lose all six matchups from a one-on-one perspective offensively and still crush teams defensively. Totally. Hey, check, check out this. Uh, I pulled up on the screen here. It's called the Specialist Matrix. It was uh, something put together by this. If you uh, follow Lax Reference, you follow him at all, Andy? I do. Um, so this specialist matrix is pretty cool. Basically, it's the logo of every school. And what you've got is um, going up the uh, one side is 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 uh, save percentage. And going yep. across to left to right is face-off percentage. So that's exactly what you were just talking about. I mean, I would yeah. What an unbelievable uh graph here this is cool. this is really really interesting isn't it yeah so there's brown yeah i see brown is uh you know above. dartmouth yep yep dartmouth has a great combination of, of face-off and goalie too i mean the ivy league in general does you know if dartmouth is zero and six in the league and they've got probably the second best face-off guy uh, and again, you know, on any given day, anybody can beat anybody, but Dartmouth has a great combination of goaltending and face-off success as well. Um, but Georgetown clearly, you know, with James Riley at the X and Oh, McElroy in the goal, it's, it's, that's, that's the top duo. And that could be the kryptonite to Maryland Superman, uh, as the playoffs unfold here. Um, you got to assume that that once it's all said and done, assuming no upsets, I got to believe that Georgetown goes in at two and Maryland goes in at one. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how the next eight seeds play out, though. And you got Notre Dame right up there. They got a pretty good little uh, combination. I mean, sorry, uh, Duke has got a pretty good little combination there, too. Yeah. Duke's scary. Let's talk a little bit about the ACC. I mean, um, you know, Duke with a convincing win yesterday. Did you watch that game against Carolina? I did. I, I uh, actually went up to Gillette Stadium to give a, a little talk to the Massachusetts Club, uh, lacrosse club, run by David Evans and Dan Schnard and, and Sean Morris. And so I was driving up during the game, and then I didn't get a chance to, to watch it. Um, but I, I listened to it and sort of watched it as I was driving home. Uh, on ESPN Plus on my phone. And so I watched three quarters of it. I didn't see the last quarter. Didn't sound like it went that well for Carolina, but Carolina played with a lot of fire. I just think, you know, they got a lot of youth on the offensive end. Um, I think their season is now done, obviously. Um, you know, Chris Gray had a great year, got the career scoring record, although I'm sure he would be rather be going to the playoffs than have the career scoring record. Um, but they just had a lot of injuries critical injuries to their face-off guys and a lot of youth on the, on the defensive end, you know, Duke, I think is doing what Duke usually does, which is seemingly get better and better over the course of the year. And this is a scary team based on the confidence that they have based on the maturity of some young players for them on the offensive end. Um, you know, McAdory's playing like an all American Certainly O'Neal is playing like an All-American. Nakai Montgomery had a bunch of great goals in the second half there. Um, you know, and if Naso's successful at the X, it's a team that can beat anybody. 
uh, you know, and including Maryland, including Georgetown. Um, and, and I think, I think there's strong potential that Duke and Notre Dame go. Now, I, I, I know that some people are saying, no way, the winner of Notre Dame and Duke go. But I kind of don't see how Duke doesn't go. Um, and, if they, and if they beat Notre Dame, they're definitely going. But it just, I, I, it's, I, I'm going to be curious to see how this all plays out. You know, what happens with the Ivy League? You know, it's been such a strong year, obviously. And, and obviously the RPI is really sort of all that matters. The eye test doesn't seem to have carry any weight. And, and, and honestly, I, I would rather have it this way. I would rather have it where the numbers dictate the right invites no at large teams than the way we had it for years, which was the eye test, which also opened up some doors for some coaches to push their MO in terms of the teams that made it or didn't make it. And oftentimes the Ivy league teams were the teams that got screwed with that format. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, the fact that the RPI is really what is going to sort of dictate these at-large invites. I think it's great for the sport. You know, I remember when yeah. you were coaching at Denver and you guys, I think played Maryland in the first round twice and you guys, it was, it was before they sort of switched back to the eye test. There was a, there was a numbers system in place and I'm convinced, or I was convinced at the time that thankfully they, they had structured it with the numbers and you made it, you deserve to make it. I think that's the year you beat Virginia at home. And uh, I remember thinking, and maybe you and I even spoke about it, like if it was still the subjective protocol of eye test that you guys probably would have gotten screwed. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. But they went, they went by the RPI and they went by the big wins and they, they were consistent with numbers. Um, speaking of numbers, so Duke is currently eight in the RPI. Yeah. You know, I mean, eight in the RPI tells you you're, you got a pretty good chance of going. And eight in the RPI, imagine if they were an eight seed and Maryland had to play them in the quarterfinals. I mean, you, when yeah. you say, you know, Duke can beat anybody, that, that, that's no joke. I mean, th th their offense is as talented or more talented than anybody's in the country. Their defense, I, I don't know why they've been giving up goals, but they're athletic as hell. They got a great goalie in Adler. Um, they're winning faceoffs. I mean, they, they, they literally have Final Four ability. Yeah, they, they, I think they do have Final Four ability, but I wouldn't say that their offense is arguably better than anybody's. I, I, don't, I, don't, think, I don't think their offense has played that well, but I think when you look at the pieces, it would not shock you if that they'd be able to put up numbers on anybody. I mean, they have, they have, you know, when you got Nakai and McAdory in midfield and you got Robertson and, um, and O'Neal on attack. And I mean, it's just like, they, and they've got, they, they, they can score. I mean, they've got like big time pieces. Yeah. Listen, there's no question they have big time pieces, but they don't look like they're connected in the way that Maryland or Georgetown they don't look that way consistently. I no, they don't. And, and you know, look, McAdory is a stud, but he's a freshman. O'Neal is a stud, but, but mm -hmm. how does he manage when he gets shut off? You know, obviously he can pick the ball up, and Carolina at times did a great job covering O'Neal yesterday using a shutoff. I just, I just feel like, yeah, they've got some, you know, some really impressive pieces, you know, three, yeah. four guys that, you know, are, are really high end, great offensive players, but I don't think they roll out what Maryland rolls out. I don't think they roll out what Georgetown rolls out yeah. and, and Maryland and Georgetown to me are connected offensively in a way that Duke has not seen or that we haven't seen out of Duke yet. Yeah. You know, Duke, Duke can go and score, you know, 10, 12 goals on anybody. Can Duke go out and consistently score 18 plus I don't think so. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. And, and until they're better as a group than they are as a group of individuals, that means six guys connected every possession that know what they're trying to get and know what the secondary goal is provided the team that they're playing stops what they're trying to get defensively. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't see them as a, as a threat in that way. They're getting better. 
Yeah. And they've got some really good players, but I don't see them schematically generating real simple goals the way that Maryland does better than anybody. And Georgetown does as well. But, but to me, Maryland and the way that they play offense, it just seems like everybody's so dialed in, so on the same page, and they just create high-quality shots regardless of who's defending them and how they defend them. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. And I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't pick Duke to go to the Final Four, but I'll tell you what, that would be kind of a, a, a shitty matchup to have to play in the quarterfinals because they, they are scary. But um, I, think right, eight, I, think, I think eight's about right for Duke, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, they have a bad loss to Loyola, which is becoming less and less of a bad loss as Loyola starts to win here, as they do down the stretch usually. Right. They have a loss to Jacksonville. I'm not going to say that's a bad loss because I think Jacksonville is going to end up winning the SOCON and Jacksonville's had a great season and they've beaten some other very good teams. It's not um, a bad loss, although they're 23 in the RPI. It doesn't even add up for you. That no. Well, Jacksonville has to win the SOCON. There's only one team coming out of there. You know, the question I have is, you know, the big 10 probably takes three, right? Uh, Maybe. I, the ACC's taken two or three. Does the Ivy League take four? If Do Rutgers loses five? to Ohio State. What? If Rutgers loses to Ohio State, are they yeah. in? I think they are. Let's go to Rutgers. Look at their wins. Rutgers has a win over Ohio they State. They pounded Ohio State regularly. They beat right. Army. Okay, so they beat Army, which has a weak RPI. They beat Loyola, who's had a tough season. You know, their win, their win. Yeah, they have a win over really, Ohio State. That's their only um, top. Yeah, so top I, I, I don't, like you said, I think if they lose to Ohio State, Rutgers could get left out again. They could. It's a good point. Wow, would that be a heartbreaker for Rutgers, wouldn't it? Being yeah, basically in the top five the whole year. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. What if this happens, Jamie? What if Ohio State beats beats Rutgers, right? Yeah. Like, that hurts Princeton a lot that didn't make the Ivy League tournament and one of their good wins. They've got a win over – pull up Princeton, will you? They got a win. Princeton has a win over Georgetown, which is huge. They got a win over uh, Brown, which is becoming good. They've got uh, Georgetown win. A, a win over Rutgers. Yep, we said Georgetown. They got a win over Rutgers, and that could lose some value there. Penn, I think, loses a little bit of value. Yeah. Um, you know, who are, their, who are their wins? You know, BU losing to Army hurts that a little bit. You know, are we looking at a scenario where if Ohio State beats Rutgers in the Big Ten semis, with Princeton not making the Ivy League tournament, does that open the door for Duke and Notre Dame or the loser of Duke-Notre Dame to go ahead of Princeton? I don't think they're going ahead of Princeton. I mean, I think with, with the RPI, it's, it, their RPI is still two. And they've got big wins over top five Georgetown, top 10 Penn. How many Ivy League top, teams do they top make? Top five or four? 10, top 10. What? How many Ivy League teams do you think make it? Four or five? Five. Five. And I think I think Harvard's in the mix. So you think both? So you think the like I think the question is Duke. I mean, we we got to kind of like look, look look at it, but but I think um, assuming no surprises in the other, you know, conferences, right? I mean, Harvard's got to win over top Brown. five or top ten Brown, Princeton. And number two, Princeton. Yep. And BU, which is top 20. So yeah. now, now if you take that and say, all right, what does, uh, what does Duke have? Duke has wins over top 20 Denver. Denver. And Richmond. I'm not going Richmond top 20 right now because I don't think they actually are in the RPI. Okay. Virginia. Virginia's top top five win. North Carolina twice. Does that? I mean, they're North Carolina they're twice. 
it 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 maybe let's see where where are they in the RPI? Carolina, they're probably so they're 17. So that's going to factor in as top 20 wins, similar to BU, but they got two of them. Like who who would you take Duke or, who would you take Duke or Harvard? If assuming Duke loses to Notre Dame, if Duke loses to Notre Duke Dame or Harvard, let's look at the RPI real quick. Harvard's at twelve, Duke's at eight, Notre Dame's at thirteen. Notre Dame beats Duke. Well, let's do this. If, Duke, if Duke beats Duke Notre Dame, Dame, yeah. Who goes between Harvard and Notre Dame? That would be crazy. Burns Notre Dame has his own team. No, who, who have they beaten? They beat Carolina. Duke. Duke. Maybe Duke. Yeah. Duke, Carolina. Yeah, I mean Harvard's got better wins and, and they got a better RPI. And I don't know about strength schedule. Duke's got to win. Notre Dame, I mean, Notre Dame's got to win. I I think Clark is right. I think I think the loser of Duke and Notre Dame goes home. I don't think Harvard goes. I hope they go as an Ivy League fan. Did you watch that? Let's talk about the Harvard-Yale uh, game. What a sick game. Yeah. Did you watch that game? I watched the whole game. Unbelievable. How about the emergence of Leo Johnson down there? He's changing them, right? Brandau played another great game. Sharp, great shooting. Uh, uh, who's uh, 44 for them? Sharp is 44, right? Oh, no. Who's... Who's 44 for Yale? Lions, right? Lions. He's a stud. So they got Brandau Sr., Lions and Leo, freshman. This is a team offensively that's still technically probably a year away. Uh, your boy, your, your nephew, or your cousin, Joe My Dowling. Cousin Joe Dowling. What a game what a he had, game, huh, man? He played a great game. Great game. How? I knew he would. He's a, that kid's a great athlete. He was injured early in the season. I figured when he got a chance, he would do that. But three dodging goals. Yeah. The last one was like, put him ahead with a couple of minutes left. Sick little uh, alley dodge to a wrong side dodge. But he turned the corner, invited his guy over, and snapped a little twister. Five hole. It was sick. You got to hand it to Jerry Byrne. Like, what a, what a sick coaching job those guys have done. And, and, and when the Ivy League is clearly the strongest it's ever been in history. Hey, they're all freshmen. Out of question. <laughs> you look at the Harvard scoring in that game, it's Joe Dowling, Andrew Perry, Owen Gaffney, freshman, freshman, freshman in the first three, three and one, two and two, two and one. I mean, they were right there an overtime loss and they would have tied for the Ivy championship and they would have had a win over Brown, a loss to Cornell, a win over Princeton, a loss to Penn. They would have been, they would have been in. Yeah. Tell, you know, uh, it's just going to be really this, this Ivy League tournament's going to be insane. Yeah, Brando's got to be a, a towards on finalist. How is he not? I mean, is he even on the watch list right now? I mean, that really? guy. Like, I, I don't know, but he's you know, I I I think uh, he, name, name guys that that I mean, you know, are there four guys, five guys better than him? I think he's in the top five right now, no question. I think he's the best player in the Ivy League on a team that can. Yeah, he's the, he's the Ivy League Player of the Year without a doubt. Right. And you just, just look at the other attackmen across. Logan Winoskis has to be in there. Yeah. Right. Schellenberger's dropped off statistically over the last couple weeks, and Matt Moore has picked it up. Yeah. Schellenberger simply, if the, if the PLL draft, you could take anybody, I think Schellenberger would be the number one pick if you needed offense. You know, probably Bowen if you needed defense. And I think McElroy could be right in there too. McElroy could be in there too. Um, but I, I, to me, Matt Brandau has, has to be a first team all American. No doubt. Um, and, oh. and, 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 you know, Chris Gray coming into the season, obviously during his time at Cornell, but also at UNC, but also his time during BU, you know, I just think from a career standpoint, even though Carolina didn't make the playoffs this year, hard to, Hard to not say that Chris Gray isn't probably the player of the year or at least attackman of the year. Yeah. Uh, yeah but I Especially think he's prob probably gets 
player of the year. And I wouldn't be surprised. Now let's see what happens here because Yale could lose in the first round. They could lose to Cornell. They could. I don't think they will. I think they're going to beat Cornell, but they could lose. They already did lose. Yeah. But I think that Yale is much more dangerous playing Cornell at the end of the season at Brown with all of the experience that the freshmen that play so much for Yale have gotten over the course of the last two months than when they played Cornell at Cornell early in the season and those respective same group of freshmen hadn't that same level of experience at that point. I think that, and the fact that Cornell beat them last time, I mean, if that Cornell-Yale game had gone on another two minutes up in Ithaca, Yale may have won by three goals. Um, you know, frankly, I, I like, I would like to see obviously Brown pound pen. And I got to say, I got to, I'm rooting for Cornell in the Cornell Yale game, because I think Cornell would be an easier out for Brown in the Ivy championship than Yale would be. Yeah. Man, Yale, they do shoot the shit out of the ball, though, don't they? The thing about Brando, too, that's so amazing is this. He, he does it in so many different ways. He's amazing off-the-ball player. He's he, he, kind of like Chris Gray that way, honestly. He goes inside, and he'll score goals inside, and yeah. he'll dodge, he'll feed, he'll, he'll win his matchup. He moves the ball. I mean, he's not like a turnover machine as he's doing it. I mean, he's really, really good. But then you were talking about Leo Johnson coming along and, and this freshman Chris Lyons who had five and oh and uh thomas bragg talk about sh- that guy shoots the shit out of it it's oh my god hard these guys shoot the ball I mean, I, they really do it sharp as a freshman too huh yeah wow i mean leo right now at 48 points and he's got at least two more games right yeah. assuming that they Worst case scenario for Yale, they lose in the Ivy Champ, the Ivy Tournament, and then they lose in the first round. Leo's got two more games. He's got 48 points. I think he's, I think there's a very strong chance that Yale could have up to four games more. I could see Yale making it to the Ivy Championship. I I I have them as a you know two and a half goal favorite over Cornell in the semis. Um, and then we'll see what happens in the final. I, I would bet that Yale wins their first round game in the tournament. So Yale could potentially have four more games. That could mean 20 more points for Leo. That would put him at 68 points. You know, that's kind of right in line with what Rob Pinnell did at Cornell as a freshman about a little bit better statistically than what Darren did at Brown. You know, this is a kid that is, you know, right with Brando. And I agree with you about Brando. You know, the, the other thing I would say about Brando is, is he gets everything within the framework of their offense. Totally. You know, not, and not only does he get everything within the framework of the offense, he makes very few turnovers. He just makes great decisions he does. all the time. Clark was talking about it during the cast on Saturday during that game. And when you get a guy that's that prolific of a scorer who also, is able to run your offense and minimize turnovers. That's the type of guy that you can win a national championship with. They did it with Ben Reeves a few years ago. Uh, Virginia did it with Schellenberger last year. And, and, and that sort of second piece of making the decisions that minimize the amount of turnovers, that's the key. You know, there have been attackmen that have, you know, we've seen over the last four or five years that have put up huge numbers, but they also come with a lot of turnovers. And, and they come with the a lot of ball in their stick stagnation for the offense. Right. Which is just the biggest downer. <laughs> <laughs> Move it. Move it. Ray, Ray, Ray. Hooray. No, Ray. No, Ray. No, Ray. Hooray. Hooray. <laughs> uh should we tell what we're talking about on that nah yeah all right so um all right did you watch the uh cornell princeton game Uh, i did i watched the whole game 
That just, was a sick game too. I mean, Cornell jumped on him so hard and then ah, to the credit fought mean, back so hard. And then, you know, you were like, all right, Princeton might do this, but wow, what a game. I, I, you know, I, I didn't think there was a chance in hell that Cornell was going to beat Princeton, right? With Brown beating them up at Ithaca the way that they did, mm-hmm. jumping all over them and riding a five goal advantage all the way to the finish line. Cornell's traveling to Princeton. Princeton's coming off a loss to Harvard where they gave up a lot of goals. Cornell had a ton of injuries. You know, this is such a great win for Connor Busick and Jordan Stevens and their whole team. This, this to me was the type of win that was reflective of the strength and the passion that the alumni have for Cornell and seemingly everybody that went to Cornell has for Cornell. This is just like a, a culture win where they just went down there and their backs were against the wall. It was lose and be eliminated from the tournament. And they just came out. Petrakis wins face-offs. Yep. And offensively, they shot really smart. They got out to an eight-goal lead. And then credit Madelon and Princeton for bouncing back. I thought, like, they were going to come back and get it done. But Cornell dug in one last time and found a way to create some separation and pull off what I would consider maybe the biggest upset in the Ivy League this season. Um, what a win. I mean, yeah. what, a, what a great win. On the road, such huge implications, leaving Princeton out of the tournament, even though they're number two on the they, – they, they, they went into the, the, the weekend number two in the RPI, and they lose to Cornell, and they're still number two in the RPI. So sick to think that. Harvard was an overtime win away from Yale and Princeton being out. Like that's that would have been just, a disaster for the ACC right there. I, I mean, that's, that it may have just been Virginia at that point, but like, I mean, Princeton and Yale are, are two final four level teams and they could have both been out. I mean, Princeton's a final four caliber team this season and they're out of the Ivy league tournament. So much of it is how well you're playing, though, right, AT? I mean, I I would say that I thought Princeton was a Final Four caliber team, and there's times when I think so, but then they're giving up so many goals. Are they a Final Four caliber team? I mean, they're giving up a lot of goals. They they are. I think Princeton's got to win faceoffs. You know, their goalie through the first half of the season, we would have said is arguably the first-team All-American goalie. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he's 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 set up those goals in the last, you know, two two weeks. Like, it's exactly right. You know, you, you, you got to win face-offs to take the pressure off your defense and off your goalie. And they, they got beat there. And Petrakis needed to have success at the X for Cornell to really have a shot in this game. And, and he stepped up and got it done when they needed it. It really has been hard to compare Fogos within the Ivy League this year, particularly. You know, I, I thought Myers was the best from Dartmouth. He had beaten everybody up. And then the Brown guy beats him up, you know. Um, and I think... Going up to Providence this coming weekend, I'm heading up. For, I'm going to head up and watch the games, and I think that the the faceoff matchups, Petrakis and Ramsey in the first game, Yale Cornell, and then you know Zusi and Gunty in the second game. I think the team that wins the faceoffs in each of those games are 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 the team that's probably going to win, in my opinion, assuming um, things go to script. Give me your thoughts on uh, on Piatelli. That guy, that kid. If there's somebody uh, who's 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 cl- a, a close second, I'd say to Brandau would be John Piatelli. I mean, he's. I agree 100. He's had a phenomenal career. phenomenal year, and he's doing Great. it the same way. They're very similar players, although I think Piatelli might play not play off the ball quite as much as Brandau does. But man, they can both get what they want. They make great decisions. They're physical Dodgers. They get really good feeders. Excellent shooters. Yeah, I. I I think that, uh, I mean, I got Brandau as the player of the year. I got John Piatelli absolutely as a first-team all-Ivy player. You know, those two guys, to me, are locks. Those guys are unanimous first-team all-Ivy players. Now, who's that third guy? You know, is it Chris Brown from Princeton? You know, is it Devin McLean from Brown? Uh, You know... Is it Gergar from Penn? Is it Leo Johnson 
from Yale? Probably not. Probably too early still. Um, but I, I'm with you. I mean, Piatelli has had an unbelievable season, and he does it in all the big games. You know, the game that he played against Syracuse when they were behind all game long yeah. was unbelievable. He had six and you three know? in that game. Yeah, he did. And, and I, I, you know, but I, I feel like Brandau is a little bit more of a true quarterback for Yale where yeah. Piatelli plays off of Michael Long plays off of CJ cursed a little bit. Like he's, he's a little bit more, he's a little bit less of a true quarterback where Brandau is to me, the quarterback of Yale and, and, and has a little bit more of a responsibility as an overall playmaker where Piatelli to me seems a little bit more like an innate goal scorer. Just look at Michael Long, Piatelli, and Kirst. I mean, that's as good of an attack as you're going to see. It really is. I, I was impressed with Billy Coyle, and he stepped up and made some, some, some scored some huge goals in the first quarter of that game. You know, Kelleher, freshman stud. Look around, you know, are, are they getting their injured guys back? You know, if they are, this Cornell team could certainly win the Ivy championship too. I mean, uh, to go back to your point about the teams that are playing well, it's such a good point. You know, it's such a, such a huge point. It's, it's so applicable in all sports. So and I, I, I think that, you know, Princeton has obviously losing to Harvard and then losing to Cornell. They're not playing that well. Um, I don't think Penn is playing that well, but Penn is scary because if Penn wins faceoffs, you know, offensively, they can, they can really take it to you. Although I don't think Sam Hanley has had a great April, you know, for a guy that to me was without a doubt, the best midfielder in the country through March. I, I don't think he's played that same way down the stretch. You know, James Shipley scored some huge goals for this team. Uh, and Hanley looks like he's pressing a little bit. Don't get me wrong. I still think he's a top four midfielder in the country. But he hasn't played great, you know, in the last three, four weeks. He's forced the ball more than he does. Now, will he fix that this Friday night? Let's hope not. <laughs> it's so true. Um, so who, who do you think the first team, um, all, uh, first team, all Ivy midfield will be? Well, it's gotta be Ryan Augerman, right. For Brown. Um, it's gotta be Sam Hanley from Penn. I think that, uh, I, I think, think Sam English, I think Sam English from Princeton gets some votes. I think uh, from Yale, does Sharp get votes? Go to Yale. I think Bragg might get some votes. Bragg, I mean. He doesn't Bragg. have the points, though. I, I, I confuse Sharp, Bragg, Lions. Yeah. Um, Bragg, I think, would be getting some votes there. Uh, as well, that that might be your your group. Uh, anybody from Harvard? I think it's going to be English. I think it's probably English. He's had, he's got the best numbers, but um, it's got to be Augerman. It's got to be Hanley, and it's probably English. That's probably right. And then defensively, well, who would be the Fogo? Fogo's got to be Gunty from Brown, I would think. I don't know statistically how everybody could be Myers could be Ramsey. You know, Ramsey beat the Brown guy, the Brown guy beat the Dartmouth guy, and the Dartmouth guy beat the Yale guy. I, I feel like Myers, outside of his loss to Gunty, dominated the other five teams probably better than anybody else has dominated the other five teams. Um, but Gunty beat him up good on Saturday, and that basically eliminated any hope that Dartmouth had in that game. If Dartmouth was going to upset Brown they needed to win the faceoffs. Um the goalie's got to be Terrio, don't you think? No doubt. And then defensively it's got to be Adler from Cornell, it's got to be Bond from Princeton and probably Fake from Yale. What about what about um 
But by the way, I met I met Bond's dad in an elevator in uh, the hotel in Philly this week. He's like, you Jamie Monroe? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, Nick Bond. So, or I forget what his first name was. He's like, my son goes fast. He's like, I listen to your podcast at times. Ah, pretty good. Pretty funny. Um, hey, let's switch gears and talk a little Big East lacrosse. Okay, great. Um, so I went to the, as I just referenced, I was, I was in Philly for the uh, Georgetown at Villanova game. was pretty nervous about that game going into it. It's a really important game for Georgetown. And in, in conference, Villanova, you know, Villanova played three Ivy League teams to one goal, right? I mean, they, they've, they've, you know, if the Ivy League's the best league, they were right there um, with those teams. So going to that game, I was pretty nervous. Um, then it's like 11-3 in the third quarter. Georgetown was very, very good defensively and was pretty really good for probably two and a half three quarters offensively they, they tailed off a little towards the end but uh, but the but the game was kind of in hand by that point in time um so impressive defensively you know you start thinking about like you know there's a lot of teams that can score but who are the teams that can really defend um and i and i and i do think that's going to make a big difference come tournament time well 100 i mean villanova let's face it mike carrado every single year has his team uh, in the mix, right? Whether they're playing for the Big East Championship or not, it's just a team that is, you know, consistently overachieves. And maybe overachieve isn't even fair. It's just a team that I think is really well coached. It never really beats itself. And they've also benefited from some transfers that have come in and, 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 and done great things for them. Uh, Keating, Basket, Basile, uh, you know, these are guys that are high-end players that they were able to get through the portal, um, like Georgetown. You know, the, the, the problem is when you're playing a team like Georgetown or you're playing a team like Maryland, you may be able to compete on one side of the ball with them, but very few teams outside of very few teams have it on both ends. And, and Georgetown not only has, you know, nine or 10 great offensive players, they also really have a great offensive scheme. I, I love what they do schematically offensively. How would you characterize what they do? I think they've got a, you know, uh, uh, they, they run a lot of two man stuff. Uh, you know, it seems like they utilize the skill sets of their respective players very well. Seems like the players all know what they want. It seems like they do a great job of putting the players in a position to utilize each respective player's strengths. It's not just like, here's our offense, make it work with who you are. It, it's like they allow Bundy to create. They set picks for d -Watt. They allow Trippy the opportunity to dodge and utilize his lateral quickness. They put Haley in a position to feed. You know, they put Marin Morin in a, in a position to finish. Like, you know, they, they, I just, I just really like what they do. It seems like a staff that's really in touch with, you know, the importance of getting players in positions to utilize their respective distinct strengths, you know, and I, I love that about them. Uh, I'll tell you what they don't do too. They do not handcuff their guys. And that's might be one of the best things that they do. I mean, they, they, you know, they, they're going to demand that you take, make smart decisions and take, take good shots and, and they're, you know, they're going to follow up on these things, but they are, they're not, you go here, you go here. When we do this, you do that. I mean, they, yeah. they, they let these guys, figure out how to play to their strengths, which is a really big part of it. You got to figure it out. You can't just be told what to do all the time. And I, you know, I feel like Brown's playing that way too. I mean, Brown's playing smart, Agreed. playing fluid. Agreed. And, and, and teams that are, that are handcuffed tend to um, be less consistent because, because, because of those handcuffs, the handcuffs be, you know, not allowing them to make some plays and figure it out. And, and you can watch them get better game to game. I agree a hundred percent with that. And it really is, it goes both ways though. You know, the players have to show that they can be trusted to make good decisions. And certainly there's risk reward to anything that happens, totally. but clearly 
you know, these coaches, whether it's Daly at Brown, whether it's Warren at Georgetown, whether it's, you know, Bobby and Tills at Maryland, you know, you know, whether it's, it's, it's Ronnie and, and, and Matt Donowski at Duke, like, you know, or Lars, like, like these coaches that let their players play freely and make mistakes. The players have earned that level of trust. Otherwise the coaches wouldn't be giving them that freedom. And then what happens is when you give the players that freedom, it's just so much more fun when you're able to play freely and aggressively that you simply play better. I think because you're not looking over your shoulder. You know, I, I, I felt like, you know, Pete and Dom allowed us to do that at Brown. Oh, there's no you doubt. Know? And, and, and we were able to just go out there and play freely. And we were, you know, during our time there or whatever, you know, we were among the highest goal scoring teams in the country. And I think that, you know, certainly you can see with the way that Georgetown plays offensively, that these guys are having fun and they're playing loose and those are the teams that are really scary. I think that Yale plays loose too, even though their structure, I still think they play loose. You know, it, it, it doesn't seem like very well, much. I, and I feel like their structure is, I, I, I don't think there is an incredible amount of structure. I mean, I, I, I think they've got a, a, this little pattern that they kind of do, but there's within it. There's, I mean, all they do is they just kind of establish, you know, someone's going to mirror and then they get everybody else kind of like backing off and exchanging and whatever. They just kind of play. I mean, honestly, it's about as simple of a system. In fact, I need to, I need to like do a breakdown on that, but man, I love what they do. And I feel like there's a little bit of structure and that someone's going to mirror the dodge when they're not doing yeah. it. Someone's going to mirror it and then everyone else kind of fades. And it's unbelievable how consistently they get looked. Well, the thing that strikes me about Yale is when they, you know, they generate a slide from one wing. And then they bang it to X and they bang it back to the other wing and then they reattack. You know, it's not like they throw the ball to X and X looks to Mike to play. It's really like X's transfer for them. You know, that's, that's what I've picked up in watching them the last, you know, few weeks offensively, but they also do a great job if they can get top side of, of banging it through the top. And, you know, if they bang it through the top, it seems like X steps up and shows on the corners, uh, you know, and, and everybody is in the play at all times. And it's clear that they have some structure, but what's also very clear is, is that everybody seems to be on the same page about what they're sort of looking for. And they're well-versed yeah. with how the defenses are going to probably play them and they're able to adapt and make defenses pay when they make a decision to stop one thing they're going to be susceptible to giving up something else and the Yale players like Georgetown like Maryland like you know Virginia like some of these other really well coached offensive teams you know they know how to make you pay based on what you decide to give up and 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 they let how the defense decides to play the offense dictate who's going to get the opportunities on offense and if and if you have unselfish players that know what they're doing schematically, they're going to be, they're going to hurt you no matter how you decide to play them. And that's what the best offenses in the country are doing to these defenses. But what Yale does really well, that's really interesting too, is and it's out of the concept that you used to talk about back in the day of outside in approaches yep. on dodges, but they do this with, with a kind of an outside in drift. It's, it, it's kind of like initiating your dodge, without the ball and receiving yep. it in stride. And they kind yep. of do it off of a, off of a fade action or, a, or, a, or, a, or a, a drift, some people call it. But basically, they kind of dodge towards an adjacent. You get a little bit of attention, and then you start cutting, and you feed these guys on the cut. And so when they don't beat you, it's just another version of two-man game, really. And it is absolutely devastating. And that's where Brando and Moral, and these guys have been doing this for a while. And it's, it, it is an absolute thing of beauty the way they – the way they have that dialed into their schemes. No question about it. Um, you know, back to Georgetown Villanova. Yeah. I think the other side of that is obviously the defensive end. You know, Kevin and Jack Rowlett do a great job with that group. You know, they've done a real good job the last few years, but the addition of Bowen, uh, the play of Geddes, obviously the play of McElroy when he's in there, but Sharpenberger when he hasn't been in there. They just, they just have it at both ends. You know, they, they're, they're completed yeah. both ends. And then 
to compound the problem, they're the best overall team in the country based on that graph in terms of Fogo and goalie success. You've got, you know, maybe the two first team All-Americans and James Riley at the X and O McElroy in the goal. I mean, that 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 combination is 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 the best statistically. And then you put those guys alongside their defense and their offense. And you're looking at a team that, again, is is the lead candidate to knocking Maryland uh, out of the tournament if they meet. I, I would love to see those two. Well, I want to see Brown win the national championship. Yeah. But well, if Brown can't win the national championship, you know, to me, the two teams that have proved that they're the best overall over the course of the season with the eye test and everything else, clearly Georgetown and Maryland. So this uh, this week, Georgetown hosts the Big East Championship. And at the exact same time, ASU is hosting the Pac-12 Championship. Parent, wow. dilemma. parent dilemma right there. Yeah, parent dilemma. Um, so speaking of that, let's just let's just touch on this. So um, Georgetown plays Marquette and, um, you know, hopefully they'll take care of business. But let's talk about the uh, the game Villanova versus Denver thoughts on that game yeah um Denver beat them at Villanova what two three weeks ago something like that um yeah it was a close game yeah April 9th they played well, each other it was, it was it was uh it was a, it was seemed like a one goal game through most of it yeah. yeah I I I I think I predicted Villanova to win that game and again hit the nail on the side like I've done many times throughout the season um but again, you got two really well-coached teams. I think Villanova is better than they've been in the past. Um, Denver may be a little bit lower than they've been in the past. I think the fact that they're playing this game on the East Coast, which is serious travel, plane flight travel for Denver, um, not so for Villanova. And the fact that Denver beat Villanova a few weeks back, I think it sets up for Villanova to beat Denver in this game. Uh, but we'll see what happens. It's, 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 it's hard to ever bet against the best coach in the history of the sport and Bill Tierney and Brownie. And this is a team that, you know, struggled a little bit through the first seven games, having four losses to Duke, Jacksonville, Carolina, and Yale. But they've righted the ship a little bit, a big win over Ohio state. They've been a, they had a good win over Towson that had, you know, been playing well, uh, recently beating Villanova while they lost to Georgetown. Um, you know, they, they have handled their business without a lot of gray area down the stretch of the big East. And so it's tough to pick against Denver, but I I'm going to do it. I, I, I think that Georgetown is going to pound Marquette. And I think that Villanova is going to find a way to get revenge on Denver team that beat them just three weeks ago. All right. It's time for the Oxia time player, national player of the week. John Canaris, friend of ours, played at Penn, was a goalie, best known for being dunked on by Gary Gate in the 1988 semifinals in the Dome on the Air Gate. Um, has an awesome watch company, and uh, he's uh, has us do this Oxy time player of the week. So um, who you got, A.T.? Uh, this is a tough, this is a tough one. Uh, I'm not going to go back to back to back with a Brown guy. If I did, it'd be Gunty. Uh, I am actually going to go, I'm going to stay in the league though. And I'm going to go to Angelo Petrakis, the faceoff guy from Cornell, uh, going to Princeton with everything on the line for a team that had gotten beaten by Brown and he had gotten beaten by Gunty. Um, I, I'm going to go with Angelo Petrakis, the face-off guy from Cornell. If you go up to the face-off stats right there, bang. Flip that over. Let's see what his numbers were. Yep, 18 for 28. Is that what that was? Or slide down a little bit. I can't see. Uh, 18 for 35, 51%. Wow. That's not a very good um, player of the week statistic, but I will say, I think that that's what got them out in front and on the lead. So I'm sticking with it. I'm going Angelo Petrakis, 
the face-off guy from Cornell for my Oxia time player of the week. I'm going with runner-up Joe Dowling, my cousin. Smart. Sick game. If they would have won it, I would have given it to him, but they didn't win the game. But he did uh, score three and one and, and uh, really a great, great game for him. But I'm going with uh, John Piatelli. He played so big in that game, five and one in the game. Love it. I know Long had three and three and four, but I just feel like Piatelli, when they when they need a goal, he can get him one. And he did, uh, Piatelli did a great job getting underneath the freshman Molsheim from Princeton, who's a great defender, but as a freshman covering a senior. And it was just too much of a too much for him. You know, Piatelli really victimized him going starting on that right wing and going underneath and getting back on an S dodge to the front of the cage with two really big time goals down the stretch of that game. I, I like that pick, Jamie. So um, we got Tuesday Patriot League tournament. And then Thursday, lots of games, including the Big Ten back in action. Um, huge Let's go through some of these. You want to? What's that? Let's bang through a couple of these on a quick, quick prediction. Right, real quick, real quick. So um, Loyola Bucknell and Lehigh Navy. Uh, I got Loyola winning. And you know what? Navy's played pretty well. And Lehigh obviously has a good face-off guy, and, and they're a dangerous team. I'm going to go off the board, and I'm going to pick Navy to upset Lehigh. Knock, their, knock them out of the end their season. Um, so you already picked Villanova. Um, you're picking Maryland over Hopkins, I'm sure. I am. But you matched Towson. You know, Towson lost a heartbreaker to Hopkins <laughs> again, 15-14. So pumped for my boy Seth Tierney to get that W. That was a big one for them. Uh, but I do think that this Towson team is, is the best overall team in the CAA. So I'm going to take Towson playing at home against UMass. How about Vermont, Albany? All of you can play better. And uh, I got a credit to, to uh, one of my, one of my guys, Declan Palangin's finally getting in the mix and he's starting. Yeah. I love it. Uh, he's playing so well and I'm, I'm fired up for him. And, and uh, I love Chris Fife's. He's been a great friend for a long time. Um, yeah. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see if Albany can, can get this done or if, or, or if Vermont is going to close the door. Um, they've been playing well. They've had a really good um, out, outcome uh, against, was it Stony Brook this week? Yeah, you know, I uh, they started slowly, and Stony Brook got on top of them and and, and yeah. looked like they were, you know, potentially going to beat them. Uh, and I love Scotty Marr, uh, and, and I love Fife. So both of these guys are, are great coaches, kind of different approaches in the way that they try to get their teams connected and motivated. Yeah. Um, but I just like the way that Vermont is playing uh, over the course of the last few weeks. You know, they they were expected to have a great season and they had a little bit of a lull, yeah. you know, in, in, in the middle or towards the beginning to middle. Yeah. And they fixed the ship in the Am East. And I just see them as playing too well with, with an advantage at the face-off X. They got some proven scores up front. They got a really good goalie. I think Vermont is going to be coming out of the Am East with the uh, AQ. How about the Richmond high point game? That's, that's a, that's a do or go home game. And, High point coming off a, a loss to Mercer that I was surprised about. Yeah, so odd, that outcome. Um, you know, but if anybody can find a way to take the bitterness of a loss to Mercer and use that wow. as fuel and incentivize his players to play the best game of the year, it's Torp and his staff. You know, but Richmond is a really scary team. Richmond was in a little bit of a dogfight as well versus they, they won't go win over VMI. VMI, I guess, is fourth place in that league. I mean, they, yeah. Huge and so I don't think Richmond or High Point are necessarily playing their best lacrosse at the most important time of the year. You know, with Richmond beating High Point the first time around pretty handily, uh, I'm going to go with Torp flipping the, squit, the, flipping the, uh, the script. And I think High Point finds a way to rally and beat Richmond and get another opportunity to play Jacksonville in the finals. And I hope that's what happens. I'm moving if that happens, who are you picking, Jacksonville? I'll or, worry about it at that point, Jenny. Well, you're not going to be able to worry about it then because we're not going to be back. All on. right, then I'm betting on high point. All right, love it. Yep. Um, Rutgers, Ohio State, what's your what's your call on this one? This is like, this is do or die, I think. Uh, could be for both of them. It, it could be. You know, I know that Rutgers 
pounded Ohio State the first time around. And I honestly thought Ohio State would win that contest at the X and control the ball and just be too much for Rutgers. Ohio State's playing really well offensively. Anasio has fallen off a little bit, but Charlie Blanchard's son has done a great job of filling in. I do think Ohio State finds a way to win the majority of the face-offs, but I don't think it's egregious. I just got to say that I think Kirst, the goalie for Rutgers, will be the difference in this game. And even though Rutgers beat them the first time and that sets up well for Ohio State with the pressure really being on Rutgers, I think that Kirst is too good in the goal and is going to find a way to make sure that they win this game. I got Rutgers beating Ohio State. All right, AT. Well, it's going to be an exciting week. I'm sure we'll be checking in and um, look forward to, to wrapping it all uh, up and talking NCAA tournament next week. So uh, have a good one. Thanks for coming on and um, good work. What are you going to do? You're going to go to Arizona State or you're going to go to DC? So what we're doing is um, ASU plays Cal on Wednesday. So we're going to go to that game. And if they win that game, then they'll play USC on Thursday. And we're going to go to that game and, and miss the Marquette Georgetown game and watch that one on, on TV, on the computer. And then if both teams win and make it to the final, then we're going to split up. And Are you and Sarah going to create like, you know, Arizona Sun Devil shirt on one side and a Georgetown shirt on the other side and wear them both together in the stands and act giddy? <laughs> I hope not. I usually stand by myself and try to talk to nobody. So probably not. Very smart. <laughs> All right. All right, brother. Good luck. We'll be back Monday, right? Yep. See you Monday. All right. Bye. Yeah.